Hello everyone and welcome back to Project Next. My name's Finn Blake and I'm bringing to light success stories to empower the next generation. Today is episode 10 and I'm talking to Brooke Hogan, one of Australia's top social media influencers and founder of swimwear label Le Mans. In this episode, Brooke takes me through the journey that landed her to the peak of the modelling industry with almost 700,000 Instagram followers. Brooke gives some amazing detail into the lessons that she took out of the early days of modelling and her experience in reality TV. She also gives a great deal of insight into the recent launch of her swimwear label, as well as where she plans to head with future ventures. If you're gunning for a career in modelling, business or fashion industries, then this will be one for you. As always, if you've got two seconds, then it would mean a lot if you could leave us a review. That's enough from me, so without further ado, here is Brooke Hogan. All right, Brooke Hogan, uh, a very well-established model in the Australian landscape and more recently the founder of swimwear label Le Mans. Thank you so much for joining me on Project Next, Brooke. Hi, Finn. Thank you so much for having me. So, Brooke, when you do think about... um, think back to the start of your journey did it always feel like you were going to be you know in the fashion and modeling industries or did you sort of have an idea that you might have fallen into something else to be honest when I was growing up I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do and I found it quite overwhelming during the last few years at school just kind of going all right everybody seems to have their stuff together why don't I why don't I know what I want to do and I think that's you know, a really funny thing because I think there's so much pressure to have it all figured out. Um, so me personally, no, I didn't. I actually had moments where I thought I wanted to be a police officer. So I'm in such a different industry, obviously, to that now. Um, and to be honest, it kind of just all fell into place for me. Um, I started modeling a little bit when I was still at school and then um, did a little bit when I finished school, but I didn't really like the industry when I started. I think I was just a little bit too young to kind of understand what it all meant um, and how to navigate the industry. As you probably have heard from other people, it can be quite tough and and hard on, I guess, your sort of emotional well-being at the start because it's a lot of setbacks and a lot of knockdowns. But yeah, I didn't really enjoy it at the start. So I sort of was toying with the idea. And then I think it wasn't until I got to It was just before I was on Australia's Next Top Model that I started to model and I started to enjoy it a bit more. I think I was at that age, was a bit more comfortable in myself, kind of knew who I was and where I was going. And then it's almost like overnight, it it sort of changed. And I was like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is kind of the reason why I didn't know it back then is because, um, you know, it it never was an option. I didn't really know that that was something that was um, in store for me, but yeah, it all worked out really well. And yeah, here I am. <laughs> I, I do actually want to go back to, you know, I, I know you did your first shoot at, I think, 15, I read, and that is that is super young. So can you take me back to when you were actually doing that first shoot? And it is, is it something that you reflect on upon pretty often? It actually feels like a lifetime ago now. I am almost 30, so obviously still quite young, but when I say 15 years ago, it makes me sound super old. <laughs> but to be honest, like, I don't remember it that clearly I remember I was working with a family friend so I did feel really comfortable it wasn't until I was I remember really enjoying it and kind of just going with the flow and I think when you're on set and you're at a shoot it's almost 
you have to kind of adapt to the situation and, and, and at the end of the day, you're almost there as a muse for the brand. So you kind of have to feel their vibe and, and, and kind of feed off them in order to essentially perform. Um, and I felt quite comfortable at that shoot for, for memory. And I was sort of like, oh, yeah, I like this. But as I mentioned, when it wasn't until I kind of got put in a room with, you know, 30 other models at, I think it was like a, a runway show or something was when I sort of stood back and I was sort of like, oh, I don't look like her or she doesn't look like me. Am I tall enough? And I think I was too young to understand what those what those feelings were. But obviously it was just an insecurity. And and that's sort of where it changed. Like those very first modeling photo shoots where it was just me and the, and the, and the client, it was almost like you didn't feel the pressure as such. But I think it was the environment being surrounded by you know, it's a little bit competitive too. That was where it sort of it sort of changed. But yeah, remembering back to those days, I'll have to send you some photos after this. They yeah. were uh, some interesting shots. I can say that. Look forward to seeing them. And I do actually want to yeah. um, go a little bit deeper on something that you mentioned there, and and you know the whole insecurity thing and comparing yourself to others. Uh, how did you sort of navigate that and come to terms with who you are? And because it's a pretty nuanced issue that is pretty particular to the modeling industry. So how would you say that, like, what would the advice be to younger people who are going through a similar issue at the moment? Yeah, in the modeling industry, industry obviously, it's just such a huge part of, if that's, if that's your job, it's something that you have to um, kind of expect to navigate, essentially. Um, and I don't think until, it wasn't until, obviously, as I said, I got to 21 and I was like a little bit more comfortable, comfortable and confident within myself. But I honestly think it's, it's something that most women, regardless of the industry that you're in, you kind of go through, you're constantly comparing yourself or, you know, what you look like or what, how successful you are at your job. I think that's something as, as human beings that we naturally do. Um, but then it's just, you know, highlighted in this industry. So yeah, I think, it's something that I still am and learn and learning and, and adjusting, but I think it's just realizing that you're running your own race. You know, you you cannot compare yourself to to anybody really, whether it's physically or you know where you are at in your life. Um, I guess you've just got to trust the timing, you know, of your of your own timeline and just kind of yeah, I guess trust the process a little bit. So I think just realizing that. Things is actually so funny because when I think about it, the things that I was the most insecure about are the things that what make me unique now. I was always really insecure about my my freckles and, and my moles and you know through schooling and then obviously in modeling a little bit too, it sort of came up in conversation. I was always really insecure about it. And now as I've gotten older, I realize that those things are what make you special. So I think and being tall, I was so insecure about that when I was young. And then through modeling, it's obviously a positive um but, you know, I would never wear heels. I always wanted to be around taller people so I didn't feel so out of place. But again, you know, you realize that those things that, that you were insecure about actually end up being the things that you probably like most about yourself because it, you know, it makes you who you are. So I think just keeping that in mind for, you know, if there's anybody young who listens and, you know, there's, everyone's got insecurities, but it's um, realizing that they're, they're what make you you. I love that. That's, that's a really good point. And so, Brooke, going back to your journey specifically, like when you were had these early modeling shoots and things and you were starting to dip your toes in the water after having done this experience did you feel like going back to school was you know a little bit of a distraction from work or did you feel like it was the other way around did you really have to struggle to separate the two 
You mean when I was modeling when I was at school? Yeah. Yeah, to be honest, my parents were really big on me finishing school. And as I mentioned, it was um, it wasn't something that I loved doing when I was that age. So I wasn't kind of itching to get out of school to go model. So it was I, it was something that I guess was was on the table for me. And I I'd met with a, a few uh, modeling agencies, and I remember I was at some exhibition in in Melbourne, and a lady came up and said, oh, "We want to cast you. We would love to see you." And my parents were like, "No, she must absolutely finish school first. Yep. I come from um, you know like a lower middle class family and my mum has just drilled into me that you know you need to go to school you need to try really hard you need to go get a degree and 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 be successful so my parents were really excited by the fact that modeling was an opportunity because I think it was quite new and it's obviously not something that you kind of can choose to do it's either you you can aspire I suppose but um unless kind of the stars align it's is something to you can't really just that you want to be it and then it happens the next day. So my parents were really excited about that and I was too, um, but they were very adamant that I was to focus on on school. <laughs> and then so you do finish up school and um, don't opt to go down the uni route. Is this something like this This decision-making process is a huge one for a lot of people that are you know finishing up school and it's a massive, um, I suppose, fork in the road. Do you wish you had of, um, you know, approached that decision any differently? Do you wish that there was a different outcome or are you happy with how it went? To be honest, as I said, when I was at school, I I didn't have any other intention other than studying after school. Um, Getting a degree was actually on the top of my priority list. Um, Again, I didn't really know what I want, what it was that I wanted to do. So um, I actually applied during um, year 12 to do like a, a business uh, e- a commerce course and actually I did start and I and I went for five or six weeks actually um, and my parents were so excited and and I remember being really excited too because no one in my family had been to university and I was my mum was really excited and I've mentioned this um, you know when I've chatted to people in the past that you know my parents were like okay she's she's going to be the one to kind of you know, she's going to be really successful. She's going to have this really amazing job. And they were so proud. And I was really excited by the fact that I was different in my family. And you know, my brother didn't finish school. And that was great for him. And he's successful as well in his own right. But it's, yeah, it was something that starting university and, and getting a great a degree was, was all I wanted to do, really. And then when I got to uni, I just, you know, I, I don't want to say this and deter people if they're, they're sort of in a similar position, but I, I was, I just didn't see that for me at that time. And I just, um, you know, I, I wanted it so badly the six weeks prior, but whilst I was there, I just, I'm quite intuitive. And I sort of sat there and I was like, this isn't for me. And I know that there's something else in store for me right now. Uh, I didn't know what that was. So I, I, I decided to take a year off, yeah. um, and sort of just see what would happen. And then I got, a job, I think I was in reception or something. And then I was getting a lot of modeling jobs sort of knocking on the door and I decided to, yeah, end the reception job. I think I was there for maybe a year or two with kind of juggling the reception, you know, money and then doing something that I, that I creatively enjoyed. Um, and my mom, I can tell you, as soon as I told her that I was deferring, she was so devastated. Um, but yeah, to be honest, when I think back, I wish I stuck it out. I wish that I could have juggled the two. And, and to this day, I, I, I still wish I did study. And I think that, you know, one day when I, if I do have time, 
Um, I would love to go back and, and, and study and, and learn. I still think even now there's so much for me to learn. I'm learning every single day as it is, but it's really funny, just something so, well, it's incredible, but to say that you've studied and you've had a degree and you've got a degree, I think is um, something really powerful. And I think that was always so high on my priority list. I think I will eventually revisit that one day. Yeah, nice one. And so you mentioned that um, you were working the reception job and trying to juggle the modeling jobs on the side. Um, at what point did it really feel like you could be comfortable in stepping out of you know, the admin job and taking a full leap of faith into modeling? Yeah, I'm not much of a risk taker and we'll probably get into that a little bit later. So that initial, okay, quit my job, have no stable income type thing was very scary. And I think it's scary for anybody um, kind of, yeah, taking a risk in a way. So it took me a little while. I think it took me a few times of saying to my boss, oh, um, I need next Tuesday off or I need next Friday off. And then it was almost me sort of thinking, okay, if I don't cut ties with them, they're probably going to cut ties with me. So I, um, yeah, I just decided to, to give it a shot and I actually went and applied for Australia's Next Top Model myself and didn't tell anybody that I was going to do that. Um, and then thankfully that kind of fell through and I think that was definitely um, kind of like the, the starting point to, to my career and yes, solidifying myself actually as a model and being able to have that as my full-time job. Now, Brooke, a pretty big part of your career, obviously, was back in 2013 when you were on Australia's Next Top Model. Can you tell me about... Was it 2013? I think so. It's uh, where I was oh, reading God. it was 2013. So, Probably. a little while ago. Um, but I want, I want you to take me back to that moment because you said that you didn't really tell anyone. Um, what were you thinking at the time and what was the reaction when you got the call to say that you got in? I remember not telling anybody that I went to the audition and then I it was at Chadston funnily enough and Jen Hawkins was there and the the um, director of IMG Australia who I'm currently um, signed with now funnily enough was there and I remember just being so overwhelmed in the moment but she actually backtracking a little bit I remember she one thing she said to me she said do you pluck your eyebrows and I was young and at the time I absolutely did and I said oh yes I do and she said whatever you do never ever pluck your eyebrows ever again and to this day unless it's like a little one here I, I let them go I've listened to her um but yeah no I didn't tell anybody about that I think one I was like as if this is going to happen as if I'm going to um you know as if they're going to ask me to be on this show that's just life-changing that doesn't happen to somebody like me um, and then I got an email mentioning something about, I was like on a short list and they wanted a few more questions from me. And from, I actually have a terrible memory, but I, rem I, I remember them asking me to film a video or something when they wanted to ask a lot of questions. And then I remember submitting it. And then I was actually out for dinner with a girlfriend, um, in Frankston where I, I grew up, which is at the local shopping center having dinner. And I got a call and it was, um, yeah, just telling me that I was going through and I just didn't really know what it meant. I was kind of just processing. And then by the time I sort of had it figured out, they were wanting to, they wanted to sort of, the camera crew wanted to come to our house and film me kind of being notified. And I was like, well, I already, I already know. And why do they want to film it? I, I, it just was the reality TV modeling 
contestant side of things. I just didn't understand it. I hadn't really watched the show, so I didn't really know what it meant. But I remember thinking, okay, this is going to be life-changing for me. Um, And I just was – the one thing I guess I was probably concerned about the most or the one thing I thought about the most was I I knew that reality TV, there's edits and and there's cuts. So I was sort of just kind of going, okay, all you do, remain professional, which I, you know, I am, but just don't say anything that you wouldn't want other people to hear essentially, because they can either really make or break kind of your career. So I just had that in the back of my mind the whole time. I was so lucky. I was tw- yeah, 21 and a lot of the other girls on the show actually were quite 16 to 17. And I still talk to a couple of them um, to this day, but I think having a couple more, I was the oldest on the show, the eldest, I, I, I had that little bit more of, um, not a lot of life experience, but a little bit more. So I was aware that saying the wrong thing, acting the wrong way in order to either get ratings or kind of get airtime, I knew that that could be detrimental to my career moving forward. So yeah, I was so excited. I was, uh, I just, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it really that, that it was happening, but I also had my, I had my guard up essentially in a way. Yeah. And so when you were actually doing the filming, what are the biggest sort of memories that you have of that time? Because not a lot of people get to see the other side of, you know, reality TV. And you mentioned that you had your reservations heading in. So did you feel as though like watching it back, were you like, yeah, I'm lucky. I'm glad I had those reservations. Or did you feel like you should have put yourself out there a little bit more? No, I was so, I was so happy with the way that I did it. I think... I was exactly who I am now. And even, you know, my family and friends that watched it, it was just like watching me in real life, which I'm something I'm really proud about because I think that when you get kind of in an environment like that, it is easy to kind of get caught up in the moment. And if, you know, there's producers there that are, you know, their role is to create a story around you and to create um, intrigue and get people watching. And essentially they want a bit of drama. So they do find ways to try and make that happen. But because I was aware that that was a possibility, I just didn't buy into any of it. And that meant that I did leave the show quite early. Um, I remember the producer saying to me, (laughs) you're too nice for television. Like I was, they weren't, I wasn't dramatic enough and I wasn't causing enough drama. Um, I did get a lot of airtime for memory, um, but not not in a negative way, just with, with interviews and things like that. But I was, I was, yeah, I was, it was unexpected how much of a show it was, in my opinion. It was, yep. you know, we'd walk into a venue and they'd make us do that 15 times and we'd have to act like it was our first time every time. So there was an element absolutely of acting um, that you have to do in order to create good TV. So that part of it, I really didn't like because I thought this is fake. This is fake. But then when you watch it back, you see how, how they tie it all in and how it all, all works. But you know, I think there was a couple of girls that got got bad edits. There was girls on there that were the sweetest, loveliest people. And then you watch the edits back and you go, did she really say that? Did she do that? But, you know, I think it's, it's quite, as I said, easy to get caught up in the, in the drama of it all and behave in a way that maybe is not necessarily how you would act in the real world. Do you think you, you did mention that the producers kind of want to create this story and create this drama? Do you remember the ways that they were kind of doing that. Now that you reflect back, is it kind of like those provocative questions that they were asking you in interviews and stuff like that? 
Yeah, they almost put it in your mouth in a yeah. way. Um, and in a really polite way, you know, all the producers and everybody who worked on the show were so, so kind and lovely and considerate. But um, they, they, they just, they're skilled in order to prompt you to say and, and act certain ways. But um, yeah, I remember my story was I was the girl next door and I, and I could, I was the Australian model and, and the Aussie beach babe type thing and I couldn't be editorial. So, you know, I'd go into shoots and I would know that my story for that episode would be that I wasn't edgy enough or I wasn't, you know, I was, I was too commercial essentially mm-hmm. for that was, that was sort of my, my story. And I don't think it was a good enough story to keep me on the show for longer than I think it was like, I don't even know, maybe six or seven episodes or something. <laughs> well, it, it has actually paid off because now you're sitting on nearly 700,000 Instagram followers. Now, Brooke, I want to ask you when the influencer trend started emerging, did you feel like you were under pressure to, you know, accumulate as many followers as you possibly could to kind of legitimize your own brand? Yeah, so before I started Top Model, actually, I remember I had like 15,000 followers or something. And at that time, that was quite a lot. I started Instagram when it really essentially first started and took off in Australia. I remember there was probably myself and a couple of other Melbourne girls who we had a large following and that was, yeah, around 15 or 20K. So at that time, that was quite a lot. And it happened really organically and naturally. And it wasn't something that I tried to control, I think, it was such a new space at the time. So I was sort of just navigating and learning and what does this mean? And, you know, at that time you could go to sleep and wake up and gain five, 6,000 followers. And then it post top model, it just grew from there. Um, but I will say that it was, it was such a natural thing to happen at that time. It wasn't forced. It wasn't calculated. It was just organic. And I think it was such a, a new digital world that, everybody was just kind of trying to understand and obviously we all became obsessed with it and still are now. Um, But I think back to those days, I think I didn't really care about followers or likes. It was just sort of, it was just fun. It was just, we use the platform to share, um, which I think over the years has changed dramatically that now, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of content's contrived and, and it's strategized and everything you do is in order to gain more engagement and things like that because now it's all monetized. But um, at the very beginning, and I think that's why it, it grew so rapidly is it was just so organic. And so, Brooke, I feel as though influencers are a little bit of a lightning rod for vitriol almost. Um, how, <laughs> I, I even, you know, think about pretty recently the attention that, you know, you even you got during the vaccine rollout and things like that and very politicized issues. How do you sort of take that negative side of social media and kind of control it or address it? You probably will have to stop me here because I could keep talking about this for days, but <laughs> I think the, the, the term influencer is, um, it's such a, a weird one. It's something that initially I thought I'm not an influencer, you know, I'm a model and I've just got social media followers. And I always thought of it in a bit of, I think people, uh, talk about it in a derogatory way where, oh, you're an influencer. Like, what do you actually do? Uh, but I think people, you don't understand, I guess, the power that, that, that people who have social media following have. You know, you're in such a unique position, but you hold so much responsibility to uh, give your audience 
I guess not the right information, but you just have to be so respectful about what you are putting out there. Um, and over the years, that's something that not that I've struggled with, but I have tried to navigate. I'm not a very controversial person. Um, I am, I am getting a little bit better, but I am quite private in a way as well. So I found it hard to, uh, share things that would get people talking because one, I was insecure about it, but then two, I just don't, my person, I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to offend anyone or, you know, say the wrong thing that gets taken the wrong way, then people dislike you. So I think it's really, really difficult, but it's something that with a following becomes a responsibility of being cautious about what you are sharing and realizing that the the importance of what you're saying and the, the value that it holds. Um, I think sharing misinformation is so damaging. Um, so just being mindful about what you are sharing and, and, and how that's going to affect other people. But yeah, the the whole vaccine situation, it was actually a time where I thought, you know what, I have not been controversial. I don't talk about anything that's going to stir the pot, but this is something that I feel so passionate about that I feel one is going to save lives. And, and, you know, I feel that I'm quite a caring person. I thought I would be doing a disservice to not talk about this and to try my best to help communicate in a light way why um, they should make the decision to go speak with their doctor in order to then get the vaccine. But my God, it was the, it was a lot. I had days where I was like, I'm deleting my social media. You know, people are horrible. But then I would reflect and go, you had the option to talk about this. You know, you decided to talk about this. So you almost just deal with what that means. And I was getting messages every single day from, from men and women saying, thank you so much for sharing that because now I feel so much more comfortable to go speak to my doctor. Um, you know, I got the I got the jab today and thank you for making me feel better about it. And I was like, if one and two people go get it and that means one and two lives are saved from, um, you know, COVID-19, then I've done my job in a way. Mm-hmm. So that's when I kind of took on board, you know, I'm so lucky to have a, be- a beautiful network of, of, so- of followers on my social media. I'm so lucky. I've been over the years so lucky with the amount of, love that I've received rather than hate. And I think that comes from being not very controversial, but I thought, you know, I've had social media profile for what is it now? 10 years probably. And this is the most trolling I've ever had. I think I can count myself lucky because I almost asked for it in a way and I knew it was coming. So yeah, although it was really hard, I don't regret it at all. And, and it was something that, yeah, I think, I made an impact on my friends. I made an impact on my family. And although obviously not an expert in what I was talking about, I could almost really relate to the people who were hesitant because when I first heard about the vaccine, I was too. And then it wasn't until I spoke to my GP and did some research and I think read the, read the, the research that um, is, is, is helping the cause, not I wasn't scrolling the internet trying to find misinformation type thing and reading what I want to read. I was reading the actual, um, you know, information that was out there that was correct. So yeah, God, that was a, that was a tough time, but it is just part and parcel of having a social media profile. Mm -hmm. Now, Brooke, I do want to change tack a little bit and talk about your swim label, uh, swimwear label rather, Le Tell me about uh, the inspiration for this brand and, you know, coming up with it and, and being involved in the early stages of a small business. After leaving school and getting into modeling and 
modeling for, you know, 10 years really, um, I always knew that, especially with the growth of social media and, and I guess the way that social media was incorporated into my modeling career um, and the kind of jobs that was coming through with social media, I always knew that I wanted to start my own brand. And I, and I always, um, obviously did not go into uni. I thought the only way for me to really create something for myself is for me to work for myself. Um, you know, I don't come from a family who have a lot of money and I just thought if I want this, it's going to be on me to go get it. So I always knew I wanted to create my own brand. Um, and then being obviously in modeling and fashion, it just made sense for it to be uh, in the fashion world. And that really excited me. And I've spoken about it, you know, in previous podcasts and, and, um, to other people, it's, it was something that I knew was good for me because when I was modeling, I just knew there was more. I, I loved my job and I was so lucky. I got to travel over the world and, and work with some really incredible clients. And I'm so grateful, um, for all of those experiences that I had, but I, I just knew that there was something else. So it took me a long time to be honest. I, I was 2016, I think, when I first started thinking about starting my own my own swimwear brand and right, drawing sketches and 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 kind of just envisioning it. But it wasn't until two years ago that I actually was like put my foot down and kind of said, okay, it's it's either now or never. Um, it just took me so long to work up the courage, to be honest. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that. You can have all these incredible ideas, but actually um, implementing them and bringing them to life is another thing. And I still do that now. I have all these little business ideas that pop into my head and I'm sort of, I write them down. I think one day I actually really want to go back and, and revisit those and, and, and explore those options because I didn't do that for so long with Le Mans. And I, and my only regret is that I didn't start when I first initially thought about it. Um, but yeah, it's finally here. Thank God. After a very, very, very long build up. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. It was it was something that I knew that I, that I really wanted to do. And then having the modeling side of things where I'd learned so much about fashion and clothing and um, really one thing that sort of kind of um, made sense for me was this whole big thing. What have I learned the most out of, out of modeling? And it was, it was more so about my mindset and about the way I felt. And, and, and I remember my brother saying to me, if you start modeling and, and you, and you, you know, get sick or you do this or you do that, I'm going to be really upset with you. You know, don't ever change who you are. You know, don't, there was so much pressure to be a certain size. And essentially he was just saying to me, don't let that happen. Like, don't let that happen. I won't let that happen to you. And that was always in the back of my mind. I'm so thankful that he had those words with me. Um, I'm so, and I'm so thankful that, you know, I, I didn't go down that path and I had moments where I was, in, in meetings with agencies and they said, if you just lose three more inches, we'll send you to Paris. And I was like, okay, I must go home and lose three inches. And then my brother would pop in my head and he was like, no, you cannot do that. That's not who you are. I'm a very relaxed person. You know, I'm not someone that exercises every day and tries to maintain a certain weight and I don't restrict my eating and things like that. So it's very, it was very out of character for me to do things like that. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing that I learned throughout my modeling. And I was like, okay, how can I apply this mindset to um, you know, my business. And I thought it was really unique. And, you know, it was something that I'd struggled with over the years in terms of body image and not feeling good enough. And um, obviously I'm still on that um, journey still. And I don't think it's really kind of something that ever leaves you. But I thought this is something that I really want to incorporate with my business. I've, I've showed up to too many jobs 
left feeling so insecure and, and not good enough. And, you know, I really wanted to create a brand, one as being a brand owner and realizing that the power of, you know, what models I bring in to my brand and uh, I guess the positivity that you can, I then I essentially like give out with, with, with that title. So I knew that if I was creating a brand, I really wanted it to be um, a super positive space and, and, and something that um, would make women feel really good. And it just was a no brainer to me to create a swimwear label that um, was really inclusive of, of working with women who roll shapes and sizes. And then, um, yeah, I guess creating a really beautiful product product that made women feel confident in themselves and sexy. So, yeah. <laughs> and so Brooke, you um, obviously are pretty bad or you have been passionate about business your whole career because you did start with the um, degree in business when you were a little bit younger, but you would have taken a lot of learning experience out of um, launching Le Mans from a business perspective. So what were the biggest learning moments and, and were there any big challenges that you thought might derail the project? Yeah, so obviously I had an interest, but having an interest is one thing and then knowing how to navigate it is another. Yeah. Um, I am still learning to this day and I think what I've learned the most has actually come from hardship really and hiccups and challenges and I think you'd be naive to think that starting a business is going to be smooth sailing because you know for me it personally it definitely wasn't um but yeah I just I guess every time I hit a hiccup I was sort of especially throwing a pandemic into that I just thought why am I doing this and I think it was really important to write down my who what why like what are we what am I trying to solve um, you know, why are we unique and why are we special? And I think I just referring back to that every time that a challenge would arise really helped me kind of go, all right, I'm on the right path here. Um, you know, I'm so lucky to have a, a really beautiful network of people around me, you know, my partner and my family. And I think leaning on people and, and, and having a mentor maybe in that first, you know, initial stage. And I'm still obviously in the embryonic stage of my business now, but having somebody that you can kind of I guess a soundboard really to kind of go, what do you think of this? Am I making the right decision? But I think realizing there's going to be hiccups and, and how you respond to that is, I guess, what's going to get you through. But, um, you know, I made a shitload of mistakes, a lot of mistakes at the start. And it was because I didn't know what I was doing. And I think realizing that that's normal and learning on the job is kind of, when you're out of your comfort zone. And as I said earlier, I'm not a risk taker. So it was very scary for me. Um, but yeah, I guess every challenge that you face is a way to learn and then you grow personally. And then obviously your business does as well. So I try and think of those stuff ups as like learning points in my life personally and then in a business sense as well. Well, it's so interesting you mentioned that because in nearly every episode, I think I've kind of mentioned the philosophy that I've got of you've either got a win or a learn. It's not a win or a loss. You've either got a win that you can celebrate and, you know, you're proud of or you've got this learning moment. It seems like you very much embodied that kind of philosophy as well. Yeah, my mother-in-law actually said that to me. I said, I've made so many mistakes and a lot of them were quite hard hitting financially. And she said, you need to remember that every mistake is not a mistake. It's a learning. And I was like, you are so right. And I think I've kind of carried that conversation with me throughout the past year. Every time I've hit a hiccup, I thought, okay, that is a bad mistake that I've made. How am I going to learn from that? How am I going to make sure it doesn't happen again? And I think 
from, you know, on different scales, but those kind of things happen every single day. Like even in, in interaction or, you know, a process that I do, I think, okay, that actually wasn't the most efficient way. Next time I do this, how can I do it better? So I think it's just almost realizing that you can improve and every single day there are elements. I always like to reflect back, okay, even if it was an interaction with it, you know, I've just, I've got a two, a two girls that work with me and I'm like, okay, did I handle that the right way? And could I have done it better in the future? So I think it's realizing that you can always improve. Um, yeah, I think it's going to help in a, in a business. Yeah. Looking to the crystal ball, what do you think <laughs> is going to be in store for Brooke Hogan? Because you've now got the modeling side of your um, career pretty down pat and, and relied upon. Now you've got Limon. Where are you going to head? Yeah, so I see I really, my main goal is for Limon to just grow for us to diversify our offering and and continue to keep, you know, uphold our values of making women feel incredible. Um, so I really just want, to be honest, I spend a lot of my time on Le Mans these days. I have, you know, my modeling um, social media side of things, which um, is slipping a little bit because I'm just so passionate about this business and I, it doesn't feel like work to me. Um, so I, I do need to juggle both at the moment just in order to kind of what help one support the other. So I, I will definitely spend my time across the both. Um, but yeah, my goal is just to keep working on the lawn and, and, and building and we've got clothing coming soon, which is really exciting. Um, and more swim. So, you know, as I said, I had so much time to prepare for Le Mans and I thought, you know, I've thrown throw the pandemic in there and it was, you know, a year delay. So I had all this extra time to, um, you know, fine tune everything. And I thought that I was really organized, but it's not until you launch that kind of everything gets blown out of the water and everything that I thought that I could plan um, can't be planned anymore. So I'm just, yeah, navigating the processes and trying to understand our customer and just trying to make sure we're just kind of ticking all those points. So I'm actually working on another business, which I've wanted to do for a very long time. As I said, I kind of write these ideas down. I'm very visual. I like you know, handheld diaries and I like to write my goals. I don't like it all in my phone. I, I need to see it all on paper. Um, but yeah, I wrote, I wrote down this, this business idea that I really wanted to do. And I called my potential business partner six months ago. I said, I'm so deep in Le Mans right now, but I really want to revisit this uh, with you when the timing's right. So we spoke about it just during the last lockdown. Um, and that's something that's coming really soon. That's in the sort of fitness and the wellness space. Um, which is something else that I'm really, really passionate about as well. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot going on. Um, but yeah, I'm just yeah, I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity one to you know to work on them on. I wouldn't essentially be be able to do this if I didn't have such a great network of of you know followers on on my Instagram who are so keen to support. And um, yeah, it's something I actually go to bed every day and I'm like, yeah, how do I have all these people following me and it's yeah, it's really special, and I think I definitely wouldn't be where I am now with kind of out that support. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brooke. Uh, you are definitely kicking goals. Really excited to see where Lamont goes. If you haven't had a look, definitely go check it out. I'm very excited to see the future projects that you're working on as well at the moment. Thank you so much for the chat. Awesome, Finn. Thank you so much. I loved it.